We're going to read a passage of scripture together, uh, found in Mark chapter 7. And for, as, as I introduce this uh, scripture, I wonder how many of you have ever been uh, insulted. <laughs> uh, it's a good way to start a sermon, isn't it? Or maybe you've been uh, ridiculed, uh, humiliated. I've been humiliated, uh, maybe bullied or whatever, something like that. So let's read together uh, because there's a real potential here of being um, insulted. So Mark 7, 25 through to 29. Okay, here we go. A woman whose young daughter, you're doing well, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek Syrophoenician by birth. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. He said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. If you want a miracle, be called a dog. Have a seat. I think there was potential here for this lady to be upset, insulted, offended. Wouldn't you agree? If someone called you a dog? Now we know Jesus wasn't offending her because if you dig into the story, it, that's not what was happening. But there was a potential, I think, here. But what was her reply? She said, yeah, but look, <laughs> you call me a dog. Even dogs eat the crumbs under the table. Then Jesus said, your daughter is healed. We've been saying over the last few weeks that offenses, <laughs> insults, and the miraculous are connected. They're connected together. You know, the thing that I've been thinking about this quite a bit, the thing that the enemy wants to take most from you is your relationship with God. Because that's what connects you to God. Connects you to his power, connects you to his blessing, connects you to his favor. So my guess is this. He is scheming all the time. How can he minimize your relationship with God? How can we hinder it? How can he block it and stop the flow of God's favor and blessing? And one of the key ways we've been saying that he does this is through offenses and not, through, and not handling them well. And that can cause a, a, a hindrance. You see, when you're connected with God, the flow of God's power is going to be there. So he's got to stop that flow. But, you know, there's something worse probably than being offended. That's taking up someone else's offense. Have you ever done that? I think we've all done it. You take up someone else's offense. See, when the person offended, they respond right. They get the grace of God to handle it and get over it. But if you take up someone else's offense, suddenly you're offended but you've got no grace to deal with it, and it can ruin your life. So what should you do? Well, you help that per offended person, you guide them to the grace of God, connect them with Jesus to help them deal with the offense. 
Please don't take on the offense thinking that's what a good friend would do. No, no, a good friend does not do that. Because what, what, what happens then is you get two people who end up offended. Well, it's worse than just one offended, isn't it? No, no, you guide them to the grace of God. You maybe pray for them and you help them get through. And then you've got two people who are not offended. <laughs> don't pick up another person's offense. You got that? You won't have the grace to deal with. And you know what happens sometimes is <laughs> the offended person gets free and you're stuck. Isn't that a tragedy? God doesn't want you, please, to do that. Now, Jesus is a fantastic model to us <laughs> of, um, in this whole area. Just think about his life for a few moments. You know, we're talking about Easter. We're talking about resurrection. Let's just back up a little bit. What, what got him there? What did he go through in his life? Well, first, when he's born, his mother's sent out into the cold, born in a stable. This is the son of God himself. Herod tries to kill him as a young child. He's got no place to lay his head. He's mocked. The religious, religious leaders hate him. He's despised by people. He's criticized. He's betrayed. A crown of thorns are put on him. He's spat upon. <laughs> are you getting the story? He's crucified. If anyone on planet earth ever to live had every right to be angry, bitter, and offended, it was Jesus. But he never did it. Do you know why? I think firstly for you and for me, but secondly, because he was, a, he was this unbelievable model to you and I that we also can get through life no matter what is thrown at us and not pick up an offense. He is a great example for you and I today. Now, what I've worked out is this. Some people, and some of you probably sitting there, maybe online, and you're thinking, yeah, but I don't think Jesus really knows what I've been through. I don't think he knows my pain. You know, like he didn't, I don't think he went through what I went through. And some of the ladies here may think, well, he was a man. How could he know the abuse I've suffered? How could he know what I've been through? And this is where we get to Easter. On Easter, Jesus took upon himself all the sins of all the world. He took on every pain. He took on every suffering. He took on every abuse, and he felt it to the fullness. Whatever pain you're suffering today, Jesus has felt it. That is the message, that is the good news of the gospel. Therefore, we then go to Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points. Everyone say it with me, all points. Was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us what? Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come on, do it this morning. What, that we might find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly, no matter what you face, to the throne of grace. And you're gonna find his help in this time of need. Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling. Exactly. He suffered all this as a man. Yeah, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. So you can turn to him and find his grace to help you. <laughs> you know, 
There's always going to be opportunity to be insulted. Or in fact, I remember years ago, uh, Dominion Road. Years, the three of us. I've told you the story before. I'm sure many years ago, and we're walking uh, across this driveway, and this car's coming out, and he's annoyed at us. He says, "There's three of us Indians." He says, "Get out of the way, you curry munchers." Well, you know what the funny thing was? Two of the guys were offended, and I took it as a compliment. <laughs> it just depends how you interpret things, doesn't it? So this is this lady, and she lives next to this atheist, and he's always trying to offend her, always. And, uh, but she loved God so much. She'd get out in the porch in the morning. She'd say, thank you, Jesus, for a wonderful day. And he'd say, shut up. <laughs> he was so annoyed. Next day she'd get up, thank you, Jesus, for providing for me again. And he'd say, keep quiet. Jesus didn't prov provide for you. You're just poor. But every day she keeps getting out, and he gets so mad. He said, right, I'm going to get this lady. So he goes out and he buys some groceries. He puts it on a porch, her porch. He hides behind the bush. She comes out the next morning. Thank you, Jesus, for providing for me today. He jumps out from behind the, the bush and he says, it wasn't Jesus, I provided it. She looks at him and she says, thank you, Jesus, for providing for me today and you even sent the devil to deliver it. Have you ever connected forgiveness with revival? You see, we're a family, right? And in a family, the goal is to keep relationships in order, keep them right. You, you can't do Christianity in isolation from other members of your church family. You can't say this relationship, fallout, doesn't matter. It's between me and that person. No, it's between you and the whole church body because we are a family together. When revival came in the early church, what do we read on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 to 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, all, you got that? With one accord in one place. Then the revival came. I've read and I read about revivals most days. <clears throat> and one of the keys I have seen is that when people put their relationships right in a church or a group of people, God comes in revival power. So let's not hinder revival <laughs> by having broken relationships. And I have a feeling that God is going to start working some incredible relationship miracles in Church Unlimited as he prepares us for revival. It's not only just revival in the church I'm talking about, I'm talking about your personal revival as well. 
Because when your relationships are in order, if you go about putting a relationship in order, I can almost guarantee you, your, your walk with God is just gonna go to another level. You'll feel a personal revival in your own heart. It's just one of those things that means so much to God. So you might be crying out to God for, for you know, a fresh touch from heaven. Maybe there's a relationship that you just need to sort out and God is gonna come and work powerfully in your heart. You know, we love to preach, you know, Resurrection Sunday, God, work a miracle, give me a breakthrough, give me a revival. Yeah, that's great, we preach the event. But you can't leave out the process. There's too many people want all the events, but they don't want to do the process. Part of the process, what I'm talking about today, is this whole area of forgiveness. See, the other thing that um, forgiveness will do is it's a, it's, a, it's a way that God opens doors in our lives. There's a great story told, and it's a true story, Corrie Ten Boone, you know that great missionary many years ago. So her sister was terribly treated in the, in the camp concentration camps. It was, it was, I mean, horrific. It was, talk about humiliation, <clears throat> pain, suffering. It was unbelievable. So as time goes by, Corrie starts traveling around Holland, preaching messages on forgiveness, how important it is to forgive. She's preaching a message one day. She looks out in the crowd and she recognizes the guard that was at the camp that treated them so badly. She's hoping like crazy because her heart just, uh, that he didn't recognize her. He comes up to her at the end of the meeting and he thought, oh, she thinks, oh dear. And she says, he says, I was a, one of the soldiers at the Raven's Book cramp camp. She said, I've become a Christian. And he said, God has forgiven me my sins. And he's forgiven me all the cruel things I did. And he puts out his hand and he says to her, now I'd like you to please forgive me. She said it seemed like forever she couldn't stretch out her hand. At that moment she said, Jesus, help me. It's a good prayer. She stretched out her hand grabbed his hand, and then she said, it started from my shoulder. It's like the power of God flowed down my arm into our, into our connected hands. And she said, I felt my whole being flooded with love. And she said to him, I forgive you with all of my heart. And then she said, I've never felt the immensity of God's love like that ever before in my life. Forgiveness, friends, touches the throne of God. You think about it. What is the gospel? Seriously? What is the gospel? The gospel is God forgives us and we forgive others. Father, forgive them. They know not what we're doing. We focus so much on God forgiving us, and you can never focus on that too much. Okay, let me, let me not diminish that. But we've tended to leave out the other side of the gospel. And if you go further than that, Jesus says, and if you don't forgive others, me forgiving you gets canceled out. Yeah. We've got to go through both of them. But going back to Corrie Ten Boone, 
up till this point, her ministry was limited to Holland. After that forgiveness, within one year, ministry opened up around the globe. Forgiveness opens doors to the favor and the blessing of God. As I begin to wrap up this series of messages on forgiveness, I want to touch on just a different angle of this whole thing. And that is to say that demonstrating forgiveness, I believe, is one of the most powerful messages the church needs to demonstrate to the world. Do you know why I say that? Because unforgiveness is an epidemic in our society. It may be one of the biggest problems struggling that our world is suffering from today. I put it alongside pandemics, global warming, famines, other, I put it alongside that because the damage from unforgiveness, it causes anger, bitterness, revenge, cruelty, relationship breakdown, conflicts, wars, you trace wars, I guarantee somewhere back down the line you're going to come down to unforgiveness, broken relationships. So it's a world at war with itself and it doesn't know how to handle unforgiveness. If anyone understands unforgiveness, forgiveness, (laughs) anyone understands it, it's the church. (laughs) We alone know what it means to be truly forgiven. How many of you are glad you've been forgiven by Jesus? I mean, we understand And the world doesn't understand this. So we should be, and I said this in my first message, we should be the most forgiving people on the planet. More than anyone else. Because we understand it, we know it, and we need now to demonstrate this to the world. Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge. Churches tend to be known for a lot of clashes and conflicts. God's about to change that. He has to change that because we want revival. And that's all about relationships being in order. So there's a great man that many of you will know about. And I'll try and bring this out as, as well as I can. But before I get to that, you know, even the church finds it difficult to forgive those who fall short. I don't know where that's come from. We've forgiven so much. (laughs) How can we not forgive those who fall short around us? Like, I think all it means, you know, I'm going to shoot from the hip right here. You know what it means? It means we have no idea what our forgiveness actually means. We said last on Friday, it's like God forgives us 600,000 to the value of 600,000 times. And we have to forgive once. And we say, no, I won't do the one. I'll take the 600,000, but I'm not going to offer the one. See, forgiveness seems irrational and unfair unless we believe in another world run by a merciful God who always gives a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance and a seventh chance. This is otherworldly grace, friends. The world doesn't understand it because it is from another world. But we understand it. We know it. And we can demonstrate it to others. So that great African leader, I hope I can get this right because I've looked into this a bit. Nelson Mandela. 
He taught the world a lesson in forgiveness. At least he tried to do this. One of the first things he did is, when he's released from prison, 27 years he's been in prison, all right? He's elected the president of South Africa. He invites the person who imprisoned him onto the inauguration platform. Can, can you imagine doing that? Can you, can you imagine that the jailer having him after 27 years you have suffered in prison and you invite the jailer onto your platform? That's what he did. And then he sets up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. <laughs> which is really complex. <laughs> I tried to follow it and understand it was not easy to do. And, uh, and it had some things that didn't quite work out in it. But the, the, the whole goal of it was this. The unique emphasis was on not prosecuting individuals for past crimes if the person voluntarily faced his accusers and confessed his crime, fully acknowledging his guilt. Wow. Well, hardliners obviously complained at the obvious injustice of letting criminals go free. And it was contrary also to international law. And uh, however, Mandela insisted on this, that the country needed healing more than it needed justice. The country needed healing more than it needs justice. Might we say the church needs healing more than it needs justice? Wow, powerful, isn't it? Now look, it didn't all work out exactly how they wanted it to work out. And the commission did fail in some areas, I understand that. But it did get a lot of positive international commendation for a different and noble approach to dealing with injustice offense, hurt, and pain. I want you to think about this for a moment. What he did, this is my thoughts on it, or I didn't read this. There's a lot of gospel in what he did. Do you know why? We have all committed the crime of sin, right? What does God say to us? Well, if you'll voluntarily Acknowledge your sin to the person you sinned against and own your guilt in this situation, then God says, you don't need to be punished for your crime. I will take the punishment and you, my friend, can go free in Jesus' name. How good is that, folks? We are not punished for our sin, God sets us free. So there's a man in the story, one of the stories that I read about. He's a policeman, Vanderbrook, and uh, he and his, some of the other officers with him, they killed this 18-year-old boy. Then we went back to the same place eight years later, got the husband, tied him to a wooden pile, threw kerosene over him, and ignited it. This comes out in the commission hearing. The judge says to the husband, the wife, sorry, and mother, what would you like from Vanderbrook? 
She said, well, the first thing I'd like him to do is to go to the place where they killed my husband, gather up some dust so I can give him a decent burial. He agreed to do that. And then she said this. I'd like him to come to my ghetto twice a month so I can be a father to him. See, she recognized history and background here. And then she said, I want him to know that God forgives him and I also forgive him. Then she said, I would like to give Vanderbrook an embrace so that he knows my forgiveness is real and from the heart. That moment, some in the courtroom began to sing Amazing Grace. Vanderbrook fainted, overwhelmed by this act of unbelievable forgiveness and kindness. Wow, when I read through that story, I thought, oh my goodness, there is so, so much in that. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Mandela understood one thing, that the only one response can overcome evil and injustice. You overcome it with good. As I conclude, when they came to arrest Jesus, because this is Resurrection Sunday, and I know that you need power to follow through on what I've been preaching for three weeks. I know it's not easy to overlook, to forgive, to let go. I, I know, look, as we said last week, it's, it's often a process. You can't just get up, oh, I've heard that message, right, I forgive. It's just, I wish it was that easy. It's just not it. But like grief, it takes time, it takes a process. Um, the more serious it is, probably the bigger the process. And that's why you need the power of God. And that's why Resurrection Sunday, I think, is a good time to talk about this because there's the power of God to help you to do what seems impossible, what the world finds it can't do, the church can do. So we read here in uh, John 18, verse 6, when he said to them, I am, this is when they came to arrest him, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. One word from Jesus and 200 fighting soldiers fall to the ground. When Jesus speaks, Satan falls. <laughs> when Jesus speaks, Satan is defeated. And I want to tell you, my friends, today, that all you need in the midst of your crisis, in the midst of your pain, your struggle, the miracle that you need, all you need is one word from Jesus. And one word is enough to de destroy him, to defeat him, to release you, to set you free, to give you the miracle that you want to see in your life. All you need today, all you need in your life is one word from Jesus. You don't need mountains of words. You don't need big sermons. Just a word from Jesus. And I love the thought when 
when Lazarus been in the tomb for three days, three words from Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. And that which was dead came back to life. Is there something that's died in your life? Is there something there's death in your life? In some area of your life that is destroyed, that is damaged, maybe healing, maybe inner hurt, maybe wounds, whatever it might be. Is there something that is dead in your life? Well, I want to declare to you this morning, come forth, arise, live in Jesus' name. Let the life of God enter you today and you can come forth through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This is Resurrection Sunday. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and is living in me. Nothing is impossible with God. Yes, you can be healed. Yes, you can be delivered. Yes, you can be set free. Yes, you can forgive in Jesus' name. And yes, we can have a revival as we are united together as a family. We owe it to one another that we might experience a great reviving in the church, but maybe for you more than that, in your own heart. It's time for the miracle resurrection power of God. Happy Easter, everybody.